1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kilowatt. My name is Bodie, and I am your host. And the technical problems—they just keep coming. But I think I've got some of them figured out. Like I swear to gravy, I leave every setting, I save it once I get it figured out, and then I come back, and there's another problem. It is maddening, but uh, yeah, it seems to be working now. So let's go ahead and continue while it's working. The thing that I like this week is a podcast client called Intel. That's E-E, excuse me, that's E-N-T-A-L-E. And this is a pretty fancy podcast client, but what makes it really unique is that the show notes look beautiful. And more specifically, the show notes for this show, Kilowatt, those ones look beautiful. So... Um, I like it because it rewards podcasters who make good show notes. And I think I make good show notes. Moving on, we have a new Patreon supporter. And it's James from New York. James, thanks so much for supporting the show. I should be getting your rewards out to you tomorrow. So look for those in the next week or so. If you would like to support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash kilowatt or supportkilowatt.com. You can go there and, of course, sign up to become a patron. Or you can just kind of take a peek at all the free stuff we have up there. If you do become a patron, you get a slightly longer version of this show. And this week, we're going to be talking about Daimler. Today's show should be pretty short, simply because it was not a huge news week. So let's get right into it here. Inside EV's Mark Kane, BMW has confirmed that there will be no direct successor to the BMW i3. That doesn't mean that BMW isn't working on EVs. That just means they won't be working on, you know, the i3. I'm sure BMW has some sort of electric vehicle in the pipeline, but it doesn't appear from the outside anyway that they're serious about EVs. Our next article comes from Steve Hanley at CleanTechnica. Polestar is opening its first store in a swanky part of Oslo, Norway. Since Norway is... All in on EVs, this makes total sense that Polestar would choose Oslo as its first location. There are three other planned stores, and actually Polestar calls them spaces, not stores, in other Norwegian cities. Since Oslo is really the only Norwegian city I can pronounce, without sounding like a complete and total moron, I'm not going to try to butcher the other locations. I think this is really good for Polestar to allow people to come in and take a peek at what they're offering. Like the Polestar 1 is a hybrid It's $150,000. There's not a lot of people out there that are going to go out and spend $150,000 on the new Polestar. Where this gets interesting for Polestar is when the Polestar 2 comes out because that car is going to be available to a wider audience because it's cheaper. And people will be able to actually go in and crawl around these cars and kind of get an idea of whether or not they're going to like this car or not. I'm sure over time, we're going to see more EV car companies out with their own spaces like Rivian and so on and so forth. Our next story comes from Reuters. At the beginning of the year, we talked about how Amazon led a $700 million investment into Rivian. That doesn't mean Amazon's portion was $700 million, by the way. It just means they led the investment, which means they invested the most amount of money, if I'm understanding that correctly. Amazon just announced that they will be purchasing 100,000 electric delivery vans from Rivian. This is obviously a huge deal for Rivian. When I first heard that Amazon made this investment back in February, I thought to myself, well, they'll probably modify the R1T pickup or the R1S SUV to fit whatever Amazon's needs were, but I was completely wrong. They built a box van And uh, it's pretty amazing. Right now, Amazon uses vans from a company called Spartan. They also make fire trucks. I tried to get an idea of what Amazon's currently paying for the vans, the Spartan vans that they're using now, to get a kind of an idea of what they might be paying Rivian for their box trucks. I wasn't actually able to find a price for the Spartan cargo vans that Amazon's using. So I went ahead and I looked up... The next best thing, which is a Sprinter van, which is just this regular white cargo van that you could buy. And decently equipped, not overly fancy. It came out to $50,000 per vehicle. And I was like, you know what? We're going to add $10,000 to this. We're going to call it $60,000 per vehicle. What Amazon is paying Rivian? I'm actually sure that it's much more than that. So Let's look at this. It's $60,000 per vehicle. Deliveries are going to start in 2021 and there'll be 10,000 Rivian cargo trucks on the road for Amazon by 2022. And then all 100,000 of these will be delivered in 2024. So based on my totally uneducated guess... Rivian stands to gross from 100,000 vans times $60,000, $6 billion in 3 years basically, which is pretty great and that's 6 billion pretty much guaranteed. Now again, these numbers are ultra conservative because the R1T pickup truck starts at over $70,000, so Amazon's probably paying quite a bit more than this. But if you're a young company and you secure a deal that's basically worth $6 billion or more, that's pretty great. Now, Amazon's doing this because, uh, one, it's a press release, and two, their goal is to be carbon neutral by 2040. And, you know, I'd say this is a good start. Our next story comes from Ronan Glan and Jamison of Autoblog and Jamison Dow of Electric. Thanks to Porsche CEO Oliver Bloom, we have a kind of a roadmap as to how Porsche is planning to build its EVs. So this article had two points. The first point is that EV drivetrains are easier to configure than their ICE counterparts. Let's use the Taycan as an example. If you have a vehicle with three motors in it and a 90-kilowatt-hour battery, you can sell that vehicle for a much lower price if you take two of the motors out and you drop it down to a 75-kilowatt-hour battery. Does that make sense? You can also software lock the batteries, of course, that kind of thing. Now, why is this important? It's important because Porsche is going to tailor the vehicles to the markets that they're going to sell the vehicles in. So if they're, you know, you're selling it in the United States, we're going to get a very high-end Porsche because there's a lot of people in the US who are willing to spend that kind of money for a crazy high-end vehicle. Whereas you have a market where they're going to buy a Porsche, but they're going to buy the lower end model. Porsche can take that vehicle, like the Taycan, and they can have the three motors for the high-end luxury market, but then they can also have a one-motor version with a 70-kilowatt-hour battery and sell it for much less money. It's still going to be expensive because it's a Porsche. The other thing that's going to shape Porsche's decision on their electric vehicle portfolio is consumers, of course, that makes sense, but also legislators. Here's my uninformed opinion about this. Porsche had an event a couple of weeks ago where they introduced the Taycan, but they still spoke a lot about their internal combustion engines. So now when they say, well, our electric vehicle portfolio is going to depend on, or our vehicle portfolio in general is going to depend on consumers, what well, are consumers going to buy electric vehicles or are they going to buy the internal combustion engines? That makes sense. And legislators, well, if you look at places like Norway who have said, well, by X date, That We're no longer going to sell internal combustion engines. So if Porsche wants to sell vehicles in Norway, they're going to have to have an electric vehicle for markets like Norway. But what I'm reading into this is Porsche is still planning on doing business as usual until legislators force them into changing their business practices, which if I'm being honest, that doesn't seem like a good business plan. So while Porsche is waiting for legislators and consumers to shape their business plan or their portfolio, they're keeping very busy by offering options for the Taycan, Taycan that nobody needs. For $500, you can add an electric sports sound to your one hundred and fifty dollars to $180,000 plus electric car. So if you want this sound, I'm going to play it right now. I haven't done any research into this, but this might be the world's most expensive MP3. It's absolutely silly. If you spend $150,000 on a car, at minimum $150,000 on a car, you should get an MP3 for free. You know what? I'll even concede that this is a really cool sound, but $500. Come on, it's an MP3 Porsche. What are you doing? As long as I'm airing grievances, I went on to Porsche's website to configure the Taycan. And before you can actually configure the car, you have to purchase their home charger for $1,120. You don't have a choice to continue to the pre-order section where you can choose all of the options. You have to say, yes, I want this $1,120 charger, or there's a much more expensive charger that you can get that is not available for sale. I mean, come on, Porsche, I'm trying to defend you, and you are not making it easy by charging $500 for an MP3 and $1,100, forcing customers to buy an $1,100 charger because you don't have your charging network up and, and running in any usable way yet. Uh, it's just, uh, and also the configurator is overwhelming and it's full of options and it's difficult to use and you don't get a good idea as to what you're actually choosing. I was not a fan, uh, but I will give uh Porsche a little kudos. It looks like there's going to be a cheaper version of the Taycan available by the, the end of the year, which is sooner than I thought it would be. So good job there, Porsche. Our next story comes from Fred Lambert. Some people on Twitter asked Elon about service center expansions, and Elon said on Twitter, Service center expansion is at max speed. So, yes, there was a more specific question answered, but I didn't put it in here. It looks like more service centers are going to go worldwide, but it seems like there's going to be a focus on underserved areas of Europe. So, I think this is good. I mean, Tesla is definitely playing catch up when it comes to these service centers and they're selling a lot of cars, so they're going to need to take care of them. Our next story comes from Simon Alvarez and Fred Lambert. Gigafactory Phase 1 has been granted Comprehensive acceptance from local Chinese inspectors. I'm going to be honest, I tried to find out what that meant, and I was not able to find out what that meant exactly. But it does sound like this is the last or one of the last hoops Tesla needs to jump through to begin producing vehicles at Gigafactory 3.0. In the show notes, I included an article from Fred Lambert that has two leaked photos of the inside of Gigafactory. You don't really get to see a lot, but I'm going to put them in the show notes anyway, just in case you're interested. Our next story comes from Jameson Dow of Electric. The Insurance Institute for Highway Safety has awarded the Model 3 the top safety pick plus. That would be their highest safety award. Couple this top safety pick award plus with the five-star ratings that the Model 3 has been receiving, and it really kind of confirms the Model 3 is a very safe vehicle. The Chevy Bolt barely missed out because of its poor headlight performance. Seems like something that Chevy can fix in their next revision of the Bolt. I have a quick video of the IIHS announcing their picks, so let me play that here.
2: Two all-electric vehicles and one hydrogen fuel cell vehicle recently earned the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety's highest award, the Top Safety Pick Plus. These include the Audi e-tron, the Tesla Model 3, and the Hyundai Nexo. In order to earn the 2019 Top Safety Pick Plus award, a vehicle must have good ratings in all of our crash tests, be available with a headlight system that also rates good, and a front crash prevention system that earns an advanced or superior rating. The structure of the Tesla Model 3 held up reasonably well in our driver-side small overlap crash test. The only indication of an injury risk was a slightly elevated force on the dummy's lower leg. Overall, the Tesla Model 3 earned a good rating in this test. The Hyundai Nexo is the first hydrogen fuel cell vehicle ever to win an IIHS Top Safety Pick Plus award. The Chevrolet Bolt was rated acceptable for passenger protection in the small overlap crash test. The structure didn't hold up quite well enough for the highest rating. Plus, during the test, we observed that the dummy's head moved into a gap between the front airbag and the curtain and almost contacted the instrument panel directly. For these reasons, it didn't earn the highest rating. It is disqualified from earning an award because its only available headlight system is rated poor in our tests, primarily for causing glare to oncoming drivers. Our recent evaluations show that some vehicles with a low carbon footprint also offer state-of-the-art safety.
1: Congratulations to Audi, Tesla, and Hyundai. That's pretty cool. If you would like to read more information or watch the video, I'll put the article in the show notes, and the video is actually embedded in that article, so you can watch it there. That's it for me, folks. Everybody have a great week. I was able to record on Friday. It's 10 o'clock, so I'll probably edit this in the morning. But I really appreciate everybody who's listening to the show. We have more new users. James, thanks again for supporting the show on Patreon. If you want to contact me, you can at Bodie, B-O-D-I-E, at 918digital. And you can also hit me up on Twitter at 918digital as well. Thanks so much, everybody. I hope you have a wonderful week.